Welcome to Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. Welcome to another edition of Beyond Belief. I'm George Norrie, and I have a very special friend and guest for you tonight, Linda Bolton Howe. She, of course, appears regularly on Coast to Coast. She is an award-winning documentary producer, and she, of course, has won Emmy Awards for her work. She also hosts the Gaia show, Truth Hunter, which deals with many of the topics that we've dealt with over the years. Tonight, we're going to talk about something very different, a universe that may not be real, maybe it's computer simulated. Linda, welcome to Beyond Belief. Thanks, George. It's really fun to be with you on this show. And I remember the very first time that I saw a headline, and uh, it was a newspaper that said, are we living in a computer simulated universe? And it was just halt. (laughs) And I have wanted to get to the bottom of that for a long time. What a subject. Well, it is because it was only a year ago, and it was in April of 2016, that at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, there came together uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, astrophysicist, a mathematician, a philosopher, and they had the most packed crowd they have ever had in the museum, and the question that they were debating are we living in a computer simulated universe? Which is just bizarre, isn't it? Well, wait till you hear some of the (laughs) things that come out. So during that discussion, there is a professor, Jim Gates, from the University of Maryland, and he studies supersymmetry. This is dealing with subatomic particles. Now we're down going into atoms, we're going to quarks, leptons. And he presented evidence that has puzzled him and everybody else. Why is it that when he is studying quarks, leptons, down in the subatomic world, that they are finding what are called error code corrections? What is that? That in this world, when we work on a computer and we need a browser, it is the transmission of information through browsers to computers we have to have the same error code correction. Or you might say, he's finding in the study of the subatomic world in the universe, error codes that are like what we are using in computers on Earth. That starts the discussion. Two months later, Las Vegas, it's the big recode computer conference. Elon Musk is their star. Huge, yeah. He gets asked on the stage in Las Vegas, Are we living in a simulated universe? And he says, and it's been all over the world, this quote, the odds are billions to one that we are in what is called a base universe, meaning natural evolution. Mm -hmm. And what he means is he, Elon Musk, who is the owner and the guy who keeps SpaceX and uh, Tesla Tesla going. That's right. He's convinced this is a simulated universe. Okay, now. That was last year. Let's jump to last month. February 2017. A paper comes out in Physical Review Letters. It's a very prestigious journal. And we are living 
in a holographic universe. And the scientists, there is a whole group and their reputations are on the line. And they have right in the report substantial evidence. You don't hear scientists saying, okay, now let's come to the question. What is a holographic universe? Exactly. You've been probably to Disney and you've probably been in the haunted house Mm -hmm. and you've probably seen, it can be faces, it can be people dancing. Those are holograms and the way it's done. You take a laser and you do actually a reference laser and then you take another laser and you photograph you with a laser from two or three different points of view and you end up with an interference pattern that can be fed into a computer and it will project out perfect replica of you using light. Right. Even though I'm really not there or am I? No, you've been photographed. But here is the key. This is the key to everything that we'll discuss. The projector cannot be in the same room with the holograms. Why not? Mathematically, it does not work. So now, think about this. When you're at Disney and you're seeing the holograms that are out in front of you, it's being projected by something you do not see. So the magic is, here is this world that takes place in front of you, like magic. Like magic. And the truth is, if you say Disney is the cosmos, there is a projector. And that projector is working with lasers and lights, but it is projecting a world that to our minds looks real. Even if it glows, you get the sense that you are watching something that is almost like a reflection of something on the earth. Who created that? Well, now we get into this whole issue of if the projector has to be in another dimension, which dimension? Who runs that dimension? Exactly. Now, one of the most fascinating interviews I've ever, ever, ever done was in 2007 with Jerry Wills. He's down in Phoenix. He takes trips to Peru. He's married to a woman, uh, Kate, uh, Kathy. They got married back in 1998 in the fall. And one of the things that he most wanted to do, and he wanted his new bride to be with him, he wanted to go down to a place called Aramumuru, A-R-A-M-U-M-U-R-U. And that's where the Aymara Indians live. It's in the southwestern part of Lake Titicaca. Mm-hmm. Here's Peru. Here's the Bolivian border. They share right. this border, right. almost right where this is. What is Aramumuru? It is a solid, red, beautiful rock gorgeous, and carved in it, think of a rectangle that goes 23 feet up here, 23. Then when you come down to the ground, here is another door goes into the rock deeper. It's about seven feet. A six foot nine inch man can, with it bowing his head mm-hmm. a little, can Walks go in there. Right. But there is no entrance. It's just carved into this red rock, surrounded by this 23-foot rectangle. And it's the Aymara Indians, for centuries, 
They have said they and have made called. this. No, no, no. The Indians have said this was made by gods to be a two-dimensional, two going mm-hmm. and coming mm-hmm. doorway to where the gods live. Jerry mm. had studied, and he had a guide named Pedro, one of the Aymara Indians, who said on this trip with his bride as a celebration that he would take Jerry and teach him how to get down on his knees, put his forehead in this little kind of like a, I've seen a picture. It just looks like the rock goes in like this, like a lens shape. Puts the forehead in there, and the shaman taught him a sound frequency said with symbols. Jerry has shared it with me and has asked me never ever to repeat it. And that if Jerry got his forehead and did this chanting of this frequency just correctly, he would literally disappear and would go to another dimension, the dimension of where the gods live, and hopefully come back. I was going to ask, can you come back? So his wife is 100 feet away. She is watching the entire scene. Jerry gets down on his knees. He leans forward with his forehead. He puts it in the rock. Many, many times he says this frequency. And then she sees him disappear, literally disappears. And we have, I think, what happens next with Jerry. We can at least share his words. He goes to a white place. It's like a laboratory. It has a hard floor. And a voice comes in, a male voice. Is he scared when this is happening? He's completely, he has no idea what's happened. He was there at the rock, and then it's all white. But his feet are on something he compared to Lexan. He tried to jump on it. And then this male voice comes and starts talking to him. And this is where we have an excerpt. Well, let's listen. He said that I was on another world, that it was outside of my universe. So I wanted to understand how that's possible. And he says, well, there are many universes, and you have just passed from yours into ours. All right, so where is this universe? He said, it wouldn't do me any good to even try to explain it to you. I asked him how I'd gotten there. Well, apparently, whoever they are had been very curious about the nature of the universe. They tried to recreate a model of the universe. He was talking about how they were colliding particles. Somehow a spark had occurred, and the spark didn't go away. Instead, it started growing. And as it grew, it started accumulating and creating more of itself on its own. It was quite large, and they had created another universe. They weren't planning on doing this. And it had evolved, and it evolved quite rapidly. I said, well, I don't understand this because we think the universe is billions and billions of years old. He says, well, where you are... You measure time much differently. Time is different in every universe. 
And when he was telling me about this, they were really very afraid that it was going to continue growing and it would just overwhelm them and then what would happen to them. And that what they had discovered is that they were inside of someone else's universe, just like we were inside of theirs. He says, it's just layers and layers. There's very little that separates one from the other. And they had learned that life had started to populate throughout that universe. They had made. Yeah, they were fascinated by this. Curious as can be how this was possible. And this doorway that I had gone through was something that they had put in place. They had these doorways throughout our universe in various places. They had been sending scientists in there to study the universe because this was a whole new realm of science for them to explore. And when they started discovering life in there, well, they were pretty shocked. Apparently, I'm not the only person who'd ever come through that doorway. And apparently, these doorways go to other places on this planet as well as to other planets. The only thing that I can figure is that moving from one point to another was outside the dynamic of time altogether. That these doorways are instantaneous passageways to other places. That's fascinating. Well, and that last statement. Doorways that could be instantaneous to other dimensions placed around this planet. Remember Lieutenant Philip J. Corso Mm -hmm. in his book, The Day After Roswell, and he goes into really saying that the government has known about extraterrestrial biological entities for a very long time, collected technology that we have back engineered, and has a, a part in that book where he lists nine places on the earth that our government understands key points that there are what are called natural collapses of the electromagnetic field and that where any electromagnetic fields do collapse have a weakness things can come in that move magnetically in the universe and in fact that we are dealing with intelligences that know how to provoke the collapse of magnetic fields and then If you can go to the speed of light, let's just say that we're dealing with intelligences that can go at the speed of light. One day we will. Well, they can go point to point. And if Good is right at Harvard, he's been speculating this for a couple of decades, that we're not just a universe with a trillion galaxies Mm -hmm. and that this is it, that there could be an infinite number of galaxies, an infinite number of universes, an infinite number of dimensions. And that part where the voice is telling Jerry that they discovered, the whoever the they is, that their universe has a, another dimension that is encompassing it or another universe, and they're, and they're encompassing this one, and we could be encompassing another all of a sudden, you have this idea of those Russian dolls that are all embedded in each other, that this cosmos could be universes inside of each other going on and on, and suddenly the whole issue of why is it that some people have seen blazing white crosses in their life that have saved them, or somebody is falling off of a cliff and they say it felt like jello came and lifted them Mm -hmm. up. There have been the miracles of this planet. I've I've had calls on coast to coast, Linda, where people are ready to crash to a vehicle, 
and they go right through it. Yes, or over it. Or over it. In abductees. Uh, I've heard that so many times, and I have an illustration in my third book, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 2, where a mother and daughter, and the daughter is the abductee, and they are traveling on a... uh, She'd already had interactions since she was a teenager with all kinds of ETs, and they apparently were trying to help her. They were trying to help her survive. And so it would have been counterproductive to the non-humans and their effort to keep her alive from disease if she would die in a car crash. That's the way she analyzed it. So she and her mother are coming, and they're entering the intersection, and they both see a car coming at them at the same time. They're done, right? They're supposed to be done. And she said it was as if their car rose vertically up and went over the car that should have hit them, came down on the other side, and both the mother and daughter knew that something real had happened. It had saved their lives. But how many humans go to other humans and tell stories like that because humans are so afraid of ridicule from other humans? And what about the car that almost hit them? What were they thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Were they even conscious or did they get a blast of white light? Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. This now leads to new work that is being done by a physicist named Thomas Campbell and some people at, literally, at Caltech. It was in February, I spent an entire day with a mathematician at Caltech and a friend of uh, Professor Campbell's. And we were talking about all of this whole issue, are we living in a simulated universe? Because this mathematician that I talked to, they're actually now trying to come up with what are tests that human scientists can do right now or through the rest of this Mm -hmm. year and maybe next. They have to get collaboration from other large labs internationally to do some of the things they want to do. But... They are now, so there's so many people that are intent on trying to test this because whether it is a holographic universe, and a hologram is the projector that is projecting light and creating, Thomas Campbell thinks that we don't even need the holography, that we could have another dimension that is projecting zeros and ones, literally, zeros and ones, which would be minuses and pluses that are programmed, that are already programmed from another dimension. But who's programming this? Okay. I asked Professor Campbell, I said, okay, is the projector in another dimension God? Good question. And he said, well, if we're in a cosmos that has an infinite number of universes, Which dimension would be a top dimension? Where do you get to a point if there are all of these Russian dolls of universes and dimensions? 
which would there be anyone that would be top? And this is where you then get to this discussion. I myself have always thought there's a divine field that is not matter at all. There's, it's there's an energy some, and a frequency. obviously something out there. It produces all the matter worlds that have all of the dimensions, which if you take a chord of music, this helps me think about this. Mm-hmm. And let's say that you go middle C, E, and G. Hum it for us, Linda. I can't do a chord for you. Maybe you can. Maybe I can. I sing. But if we were in middle C, and Jerry's universe is E, and there's another universe dimension that's F, unless you could produce the exact frequency of the E and the G dimensions or universes, you're never even going to be able to detect. You will not know anything and they could be that close as frequencies of music. This is getting close to what I think the reality is and what phys- physicists did, talk did about. Did you ever think you would be thinking about this today? Because when we grew up in school, and when you and I grew up in school, we thought of this universe as the universe. Yeah. Hard facts, how it was created, that's debatable. I still haven't gotten my explanation for the Big Bang. But did you ever think you'd be talking about a holographic universe? The first time that I ever heard this was on an airliner flying with Bud Hopkins. The late Bud Hopkins. It goes back to 1991. And it was that uh, spring, uh, a book came out called The Holographic Universe by Michael Michael Talbot. Talbot. As a matter of fact, since you bring that up, let's take a look at that right right now. A University of, of London physicist named David Bohm was a former protege of Einstein and a Stanford University neurophysiologist named Carl Pribram, and they worked independently. Pribram was studying memory and found that there's evidence that the brain operates holographically, and Bohm was studying uh, subatomic physics and found that on the subatomic level, the fabric of reality seems to possess properties that are reminiscent of a hologram. Mm-hmm. So if you put those two ideas together, that our brain seems to be holographic and the universe is holographic, it suggests that maybe it's compelling evidence that that the universe may be a kind of hologram, not that it's literally a hologram, but that it's a good metaphor or way of understanding the universe. A hologram has an unusual property. If you take a piece of photographic film that has a holographic image encoded in it, that means that you cannot see the image with your naked eye. You have to, to reconstruct the image, you have to shine a laser through it. So if you have an image of a rose in the film, shine a laser through the rose, you'll get a three-dimensional image of the rose on the other side. You cut that film in half, shine a laser through each piece, you'll get a whole rose out of each piece, which is a very unusual property and sort of boggles the imagination at first. Uh, Cut it in four, you get four roses. Cut it in eight, you get eight roses. Mm -hmm. So if the universe is a hologram, it means, as William Blake said, that quite literally you can find the universe in a grain of sand, that every portion of the universe contains some semblance of the whole, of the whole universe. But now, he just said, may not be literal. Now the physics is moving toward literal hologram. And what is so interesting about that 1991 experience with Bud We had both been speaking at a conference. This book, The Holographic Universe, had just come out. He's passed on now, hasn't he? Well, he died the next year. Yeah. So he died in 1992, one year after the book came out. Oh, gosh. And so uh, it was a discussion everywhere at that conference in 1991. When you ask, had I started thinking about this, it goes back to there. So Bud and I are uh, talking together on the airline going back. I lived in Philly and he lived in New York. And he leaned over and he said, I want to tell you something confidentially. 
at the time in 1991. He said, Michael Talbot is one of my abductee cases. Wow. And Who would have known that? No, nobody, nobody knew then. Nobody knew for a long time till I have so started saying this uh, just recently on Coast and at Earth Files yeah. and and now on uh, with this show with you and Beyond Belief that Bud was saying about the discussion he had with Michael Talbot that the entire book, the holographic universe, was a telepathic download. Huh. During his experiences and interactions with non-humans, and he told Bud, he said, I don't want anybody to know this. He never wrote that in the book. No. And he said, I don't want anybody to know this because then they won't think the book is credible because right. back in 91, it was worse than uh, any time. It was woo-woo then. I- exactly. Today, that's what's so exciting about all of these new papers and studies that the holographic universe is increasingly, I'm going, to, I'm going to step out and say, with testing, we could learn in the next year or two that the evidence is that we are in a holographic universe, which leads again to your question, who's doing the projecting? Could there be multiple projectors between different dimensions and universes Uh, Is this cosmos teeming with advanced life that could be doing this? But Professor Campbell and I both feel the same way. There is a divine non-matter field and that the key to why this universe might be as it is with a yin and yang symbol as a metaphor, darkness in the light, light in the dark, a kind of yin and yang, would be, and this is his term, Professor Campbell thinks that this universe was made to be an entropy reduction trainer for souls. Hmm. And when we were talking about that, I was thinking of Gnosticism and Zoroastrianism, which goes back more than 2,000 years. I'm glad you're pronouncing these words. Well, I tell you, I recommend to everybody to read about Zoroastrianism and Gnosticism. Because in many ways, it may be the key to why anybody simulated this universe in the first place. And the idea is that this, when you have entropy, it's energy winding down. It's why this would be a universe where death is the end of everything. Stars, people, the universe. But that there could be many universes where time, the vector of time, goes to the past, and that means there would never be death. They would be universes of immortality. Mm-hmm. Why then would this be an entropy reduction trainer for souls? And, his, and he's talking as a physicist. Right. He says, I really do think that what we are underestimating is the importance of the soul spirit as the whole key to everything that is on this planet. Sounds biblical. Well, it has to do with the life force. If, in fact, the body containers, whether we're talking about ETs, humans, anything Mm -hmm. that is organic life in this universe, there is a life force. And in the first law of thermodynamics that physicists live by, energy cannot be destroyed. It is always there reforming. So the soul spirit of any entity, 
would be the consciousness relationship to the projector. Now we're getting into the minds of any creature in this universe would be the interactor with the projector and that the body containers are what would take the soul and spirit around in this universe, but the whole point, the bottom line to everything, is trying to live with compassion, with love, with sharing, not hate and greed and jealousy, and that the more jealousy, the more hate, the more war, the faster the universe runs down with entropy. Doesn't that sound like the work of Jesus? Well, And the same things he's trying to impart on people then? So one of the things that he and I have talked about that I, when I did a recording, I put this also in my uh, news website, earthfiles.com. Mm-hmm. And I raised the question, why would there be avatars? And avatars would be Christ and Buddha. Why would there be avatars in a simulated universe? And he had the most interesting answer. He said, if we are in a cosmos with a capital C, and the whole point of all existence everywhere is to evolve the soul spirit back toward the divine field, that there would be dimensions where we might call them angels. They would be higher frequency. They would already have the knowledge Mm -hmm. that we're trying to learn in this universe. And that the whole cosmos would be dedicated to evolving souls against entropy, which is the winding down toward death. Almost like the whole thing is set up for soul training. Well, I think it has been. And if there are, let's say, intelligences that we might call angels, but they are just advanced intelligences in another dimension, and they want to help this universe dimension and others where there's more entropy, they might come periodically, try to share, look, if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, where your soul will go at the moment of death will be another dimensional frequency where you will not have the struggles that you have in this matter world that was designed specifically to train souls. If all of this is correct, and all these multiverses are here, and we're all part of this holographic or computer-staged cosmos, how did the first one happen? Well, it's a good question. I wish I had an answer, but... I mean, you're talking about how did infinity begin? My mother, one, one day, she's still going strong. When I asked her about all of this, how did it start? Who's God? What is this, Mom? What is this? She said, Georgie, it always was and always will be. So my question to you is, is maybe it was always there. Maybe there was no creator or projector. Maybe it was just always here. I can't comprehend that. Nor can I. No. I asked her the same question. I said, Mom, I don't get that. How could it always be? But I also don't understand how something could be from nothing. 
Well, come back to the singularity. If Jerry Wells had an experience that was a real insight into a real dimension, meaning that there is a dimension that could create in a lab uh, all of the science to test and see how can we make a universe that will have life in it. Let's say that that was the goal in the Mm -hmm. other dimension. And they end up having these ingredients going, and then it starts going out of control, and they try to tamp it in in that dimension, but it's out of their control, and we end up a universe in another dimension that the act in that laboratory created this other dimension that this universe is in. Jerry said that that came into his mind when the uh, voice was saying that when they saw a spark, They saw a spark of light, and they were so shocked. (laughs) And he said, what if that is what we call the singularity, and it was the moment in that lab in another dimension that was out of control and ended up creating this universe, and that is why the male voice told Jerry, we know all about your universe. We tried to stop it, but what they were shocked by was the fact that within a short period of time, because they've been monitoring, because they can move interdimensionally, how life began to evolve so rapidly in this universe. That to them is the profound mystery in that dimension. And how life began to evolve is a profound mystery to our own science. Linda, when I get back to my office and turn on my computer, I control it. I'm the one who's doing this. What about this cosmos? Who's controlling this? If we are indeed in a simulated or holographic universe, there's still got to be somebody behind it or something. That's that projector in the other dimension that is a big mystery, but there's another part of this. Professor Campbell would say, if in fact we don't even need the holographic projector in light, and if there is a dimension that is, has a stream of zeros and ones, it's already encoded. All the ingredients to make this universe came in in zeros and ones from a computer simulation. And that that was designed specifically for that fine edge that makes life possible in this universe. That is another one of the mysteries. Why is this universe so finely tuned to support life? He thinks then that our brain, that concept, a holographic Mm -hmm. functioning brain in a holographic functioning universe, consciousness then in this universe becomes the prime player. And that might explain when you go into quantum mechanics and you're back down into quarks and electrons and protons, where they have tried and uh, tried to isolate and measure electrons and leptons, they realize that as soon as they try to measure, they're impacting the subatomic level. And that has been described over and over for decades. But that would imply that even if we're not aware, our minds constantly are interacting with what we think of as matter, but matter is mostly energy in space. Our hands don't go through it because of Planck's constant. But essentially, you, I, the chairs, the studio, everything, it's energy in space. 
And if the mind was made by this other dimensional projector, consciousness, if consciousness is the main ingredient which ties into the reduction, the entropy reduction soul trainer, that this whole universe was made specifically to be this interaction between consciousness, soul, spirit, and trying to reduce entropy as a measurement of the evolution of knowledge in the soul, spirit, back out. As quickly as it was turned on, can it be turned off? And poof, we're gone? I suppose if somebody who's projecting or originally projected or the lab in the other day. Yeah, but if Jerry is right, if, if that is an insight, that means that was an experiment that got out of control in one dimension, created another dimension in which we are the universe in it. They can't shut us off. They tried. That means we're in a universe that I don't think anybody can shut down at least not at the level well, of the projector. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> I hope so. How will science ever get to the point where they can justify what this kind of universe is all about? That's where all of these new tests over the rest of this year and next year, they're really going to try to get more um, data that is going to either say the holographic universe, this is it. This is the answer. We're mm-hmm. in a holographic universe. And there will still be those questions that you're asking. Who's doing the projection? Can they show how, how? Yeah, but how many layers of projectors might there be? And the bigger question is, if the divine field has no matter, is the alpha to the omega has no beginning, as you were talking with your mom, mm-hmm. but produced... All these universes and dimensions in which there's a vector of time. So it's a very strange juxtaposition. If you have a divine field that goes from the alpha to the omega and there is no beginning or end, but it can produce frequencies and the frequencies can be matter and light and energy and that they can exist like the chord notes so that you could have an infinite number of different frequencies and different universes and different dimensions, you still have that huge question. Will the infinity continue to keep expanding? This universe may contract on itself or keep expanding forever. That's still a debate. Right. Well, if all those other universes are contracting or expanding, the size of space almost becomes meaningless, and you come back to the interaction that once you are in the whole realm of consciousness, and you can ask this question, who are we? Who are they? What is the projector? Is there an over arching God or divine field and is the whole goal of all of it training for these souls to return to the divine field what would happen to everything if it occurred that all souls chose willfully to go back to the divine field 
with that suddenly, that not, would be the end. And not come back. If you look at Genesis in the Bible as a template for what you've been talking about today and look at that, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. And I think a lot of people need to go back and look at that and read that. In the beginning you know, was the Word with a capital W. The Word is sound. The Word is frequency. In the beginning was the Word. Mm-hmm. Without frequency, we have no matter. It's the presence of frequency. And the frequencies for people who have studied crop formations, for example, and you get into fractals. Or moving the pyramid blocks. Well, all that. that's neutralizing gravity. Yeah. But the fractals, when you look out into the universe and the holographic universe or even the universe of consciousness, and you examine how has this universe evolved and what do galaxies look like and what do energy systems look like in relationship to each other, you find fractal patterns everywhere. As if there is some sort of a template that everything in this universe would evolve in cycles and spirals and cycles and spirals. And there comes one of the more interesting discussions that I had with an abductee once, who said that he was shown that we are in a cluster of 10 universes. We haven't discovered the other nine, and that we exist in pairs, five pairs, 10 universes. And We are in a universe where electrons are positively charged and protons are, uh, are the electrons negative and the protons positive and go into the universe next door and it's exactly the opposite. Everything is the opposite. And that at the moment of death in this universe, that the tunnel that people have talked about, he calls it a charge change. It's a physics that the soul spirit has to change charge and goes into this other universe where the vector of time goes to the past. You can't break anything. You can't destroy anything. And everything in that universe gets younger and younger and younger and recycles into this universe where entropy is in charge and energy goes down. And it raises the a question about if, in fact, there are universes in clusters, were they designed specifically for the recycling of matter going through the universes and out of the matter worlds then would come other frequencies where matter may not dominate. And that may or may not be what the so-called angelic realm, meaning the word angel, angelo, messenger, it could be that the angelic interactions with our planet for centuries has been quite literally uh, intelligences in this whole layer of all these dimensions Mm -hmm. and universes where they already understand everything in the matter worlds. They don't have to be in the matter worlds. And they interact with the matter worlds trying to help that we literally do have helpers, and we have messengers from some of these dimensions where the zeros and ones would still be at work, and information and consciousness would all be interacting. But if you are freed from matter, the frequency of matter, which is hard for the matter world to understand, 
then that might be the angelic realms. And that's where, when you go back into biblical text and you talk Enoch saying two very tall beings with glowing faces came and said they wanted to show him the seven levels of heaven. Which Ma- could be part of these dimensions. Exactly. Seven time. notes, seven yep. frequencies. What about hell? Where was hell? What does that fit into this? Well, in the Enoch story, one of the reasons why the book of Enoch was knocked out of the assembly of the Bible at the Council of Nicaea was because Enoch said that these two tall beings, he thought they were angels. Mm -hmm. They could have been extraterrestrials for today. They had glowing faces in the second heaven, which in our discussion would be a second note, a second frequency. Evil was contained as if punished, as if kept, that there was a second heaven dedicated just to encapsulating evil. Linda, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you. Great information. I've always wondered about whether we live in a simulated universe, and maybe we do. Linda's work, of course, you can watch on Gaia at Truth Hunter, or go to her website, earthfiles.com. She's got great information about stories like this and so many more. I'm George Norrie, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. To learn even more, go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com.